The tension was palpable. Up till a year ago, the brethren had worked together and mutually prospered, like a line of sailing ships all buoyed by an incoming tide. Now, half the time, it seemed like they'd sooner settle disputes in the street. When the poets wrote their epics about the war between the brethren, he wondered when they'd begin the telling. Was it a year ago, when Pentos threw a tankard at his brother and nearly caved Petros's skull in? Or was it now, when the governor's dogs were crouched outside the gray man's door and none of the others could be troubled to care? What's up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode. Last week, we got to see a little more of the backstory to the Taddy Prince. If you're not caught up yet, I will leave a link to the full playlist down in the episode description, so make sure to check that out there. As always, it is a huge favor if you leave a like or a comment on the video. All right, let's jump into the good stuff. I'm Josh Call, and this is Last Coliseum. As the old saying went, a man who made no study of history damned himself to repeat it. Long before he took the name Kingmaker, when his hair was thick and wind-swept and he'd not yet heard of the sweet-smelling wax the Kadari called Balash, Braden had made his study with his ears and his feet, far more interested in his young man's way in making history than learning it. He'd made his way as a caravaneer, crisscrossing the Dominion a dozen times before he was thirty, fallen in love four times, thrice with women, once with a green spit of sand at the tail tip of the jackanapes, and gathered stories from all the priests, paupers, and pirates who happened to sit the bar stool next to his. News traveled between cities on horseback, faster on the triple-masted clipper ships that roamed the coast, and to a frustrated young man it seemed like history streaked by in a blinding flash, the great moments over and done long before word could spread that history was happening over Yom. By the time word crossed the Kadari marches that Lord Orin was marshalling his peasant army, the rebel was already three moons dead, and an eager Braden had arrived on an empty battlefield almost a year after the crows did. Perhaps you couldn't know what would become history until after it was done, when the low folk in the villages outside Haven had taken to tarring the tax collectors, what would have happened if the high lords had known that these same peasants would flock to the rebels' banner only a year later? How many thousands of lives might have been saved if they'd struck hard and early, so that when Orin fled into the Greatwood, the villages knew better than to succor him? Such were the thoughts of Braden Kingmaker as he climbed the stairs to the high room on the top floor of the pleasure house. He'd felt the rumblings for over a year, and imagined that he saw the peace between the brethren starting to fray. The raids on his fighting pits were only the latest symptom of a deeper disease. They were like a bowstring stretched taut. They could only withstand so much sawing before something snapped. He could tell that Kat felt it too. She wouldn't admit as much. Half a lifetime as a courtesan had taught her how to keep her poise in all circumstances and to lie as easy as breathing. But then there were those moments when she didn't know anyone was looking, when he noticed the tension in her jaw or the iron grip of her lily-white hand on the armrest. There was a war brewing. 
not between armies, but among the eight men and women seated at the long polished table. They were the merchant brethren, who between them held as much power at the edge as the governor himself, and still more beyond it. And if war ever did break out between them, it would be bloody. Count on it. There was a ninth face at the table, who at this moment was blathering on about his heroics on the hinter against the bandit scourge, but thanks Cirrus that Elias White Rose had been there to save the peasantry, and so on. The others were all studying the parchment sheets that Shiloh had passed out, copies of the campaign report he'd given the governor. Braden wasn't really listening. The Free Nation raiders who came up from the south to plunder cattle and daughters from the hinter villages didn't concern him a whit. It was the same every spring. The bandits butchered a few villagers and burned a few granaries before the soldiers in Larkspur, and now Elias and his merry band of cutthroats beat them about the ears and chased them back across the desert. After we took Salem, the raiders pulled out and fled south he half heard Elias saying. We killed a few during the rout, then doubled back to consolidate forces with Larkspur. You should have pressed them, rumbled Pentos Ken Pentos, scratching his bushy blonde beard. The Northman's swirling face tattoos were dark against his ruddy complexion. He jabbed a beefy finger at the nobleman. You could have tailed them back to the nation, bring back the gadfly's head on a damned pike. Elias blinked at the interruption. Braden saw one or two of the others nodding in agreement. We'd been on campaign for over a moon. A flush was creeping up the nobleman's pale neck, the apple of his throat bouncing excitedly. My men were tired and homesick. Rather than let them lead us into an ambush, we held the line and make sure they didn't double back for another go. In other words, you turn tail. Easy, Pentos murmured Katerina, her green eyes flashing. The brawny Northman wasn't listening. Next year, let's just send the savages our goats and grain and girls instead of making them come up and get them. Across the table, Marcella's lips were pursed and bloodless. I told you last year, Pentos, she drawled, running her fingers through her close-cropped dark hair. I could raise you an army to man your fields if you're willing to pay for it. She was wearing her false eye, the puckered pink scar that bisected it, gnarled and terrible. Braden had always thought she rather enjoyed the anxious twitch that ran through someone when she fixed them with its phantom gaze. Pentos glared right back and growled, No offense, love, but your swords are only half a step better than bandits themselves. He looked down at the report, his lips moving slightly as he read over the charts detailing what had been stolen or destroyed in the hinter villages. Grain price is already a fifth above normal. He bared his teeth at Elias. Braden caught a whiff of whiskey on his breath. Any higher and children starve. While you're off playing paladin, the decisions you make affect the whole edge. The lordling fidgeted, his eyes flicking to Shiloh in the seat next to him. I didn't come here to be insulted, he said under his breath. Shiloh didn't react. His pink sausage fingers were interknit on the table in front of him. He never lost that placid little not-a-care smile as he told the Northman, I'm sure we can come to an arrangement for extra guards next spring. I'll share the burden with you. 
Pentos looked only very slightly mollified by this, but he crossed his arms and leaned back in his chair, which gave a low groan of protest. For a long moment, no one spoke. Brayden scanned each of them in turn. Jenna was staring at her reflection in the dark wood table. Her sleeves rolled up to the elbows and muscular, forge-scarred arms folded across her chest. Torm was staring absently out the window behind Cat's head, although perhaps the old man had fallen asleep with his eyes open. It wouldn't be the first time. The tension was palpable. He could smell it in the air like brimstone. Up till a year ago, none of them would ever have dreamed of raising their voices during a moot. The brethren had worked together and mutually prospered, like a line of sailing ships all buoyed by an incoming tide. Now, half the time, it seemed like they'd sooner settle disputes in the street. When the poets wrote their epics about the war between the brethren, when, he couldn't remember precisely when he'd stopped saying if, he wondered when they'd begin the telling. Was it a year ago when Pentos threw a tankard at his brother and nearly caved Petros's skull in? Or was it now, when the governor's dogs were crouched outside the gray man's door and none of the others could be troubled to care? That was why he'd come. He didn't give half a damn about Elias's report, save to find out whether he'd been horribly maimed during the campaign. No such luck. Formally, it was to swallow his pride and take Cat's advice and ask the others for help in solving the problem of Dolphus Femerial robbing him blind and jailing his brawlers. Privately, he was here to watch their faces, to gauge their reactions to his request for aid, to decide whether they still deserved the name Brethren, to find out whether the Siren's condemnation of his trade and Cat's was only an unfortunate misunderstanding easily remedied, or if it was only the opening salvo in a struggle for supremacy over the Brethren that would bring the city to its knees, one where the victor took everything. He stared up at the nobleman standing awkwardly at the head of the table and found himself idly sharpening the needlepoint of his mustachio. If it came to war, the Grey Man's first move would be to drop Haytham's leash and watch him tear Lord White Rose limb from limb. Are we done here? The others all turned to look as Jenna pushed her chair back and stood. I have a run of blades to deliver to Commander Pike. Not quite. The Grey Man leaned back in his chair and laced his fingers behind his head as the others all turned to look at him. I want to talk about my pits. Katerina sniffed. I was hoping you'd mention them, she murmured, wrinkling her powdered nose ever so slightly. You stink. The rest of the table snickered. Braden's eyes flashed. Not the time, he told Cat, his lips hardly moving. Grey cloaks have sacked eleven of my fats this moon, he informed the rest. They've stolen six hundred crowns out of my pocket since the Sirens made me a criminal. He reached into the slender leather valise next to his seat and withdrew a copy of the decree that the church had pasted all over the copper's last moon. He slid it to Marcella on his left and said with a tone of finality, I want this solved tonight. What exactly are you asking for? That we bend God's ear and beg him to change his mind about blood games? 
Braden fixed the other Ken Pentos a withering stare and growled back, It's not God's mind I want to change. Sitting next to Petros, he saw Shiloh touch the golden blood tree medallion that hung about his wattled neck. The church can be as priggish as it likes, but when it starts carrying the weight of arms... The governor, then, Petros replied with a wave of his hand. He was everything his brother Pentos was not. He had the same bushy eyebrows, but beneath them he was a hard, thin man like a tangle of brambles, with a scowl permanently etched on the knotty plank of his features. His close-cropped, blond beard framed a bare, uninked face, which in the north would have marked him for a coward. The cloaks are good clients, the gray man said. Hell, a few of them fight for me. They wouldn't be enforcing this if the old man wasn't insisting on it. At the mention of the governor, every eye naturally turned to Elias, who had taken the empty seat opposite Shiloh at the far end of the table. The lordling put up his hands defensively. Don't look at me. I've been on campaign. They kept staring. Ever since his wife fell sick, Dolphus has taken great comfort in the faith, Elias admitted after a moment. Braden nodded. His spies in the keep had told him all about the steady decline of Lady P in recent years, slow at first, but with gathering speed like a stone rolling down a hillside. Perhaps he thinks she'll be healed if... If he bends me over and bleeds me dry, Braden almost said. I think it's wonderful that he's found religion. But when it starts to affect our bottom line, the time comes for all of us to respond with one voice. Kingmaker looked at each of them in turn. Nobody said a word. Don't all agree at once. Torm cleared his throat of cobwebs. I'm not sure I see what you want, Braden. The pits have always been at the fringe of what's publicly acceptable. That's why they fight in basements under dram houses. He probably would have kept droning on, but Jenna interjected. It seems to me like this is part of the cost of being in your line of work. I don't come to all of you demanding a handout when the price of ore goes up, she shrugged. But you would come if the Gov started sending keepers to the lifts to confiscate your shipments, Braden answered hotly. Difference is, I'd help you, whether your problem affects me or not. If you want help, I can arrange for extra hands to guard your pits, Marcella offered. I appreciate the thought, but I want assurances that the cloaks aren't going to keep beating down my door every night and he didn't think the solution was to turn every raid into a pitched battle in the street. I'm not sure what assurances you think we can give, came Shiloh's soft murmur from the end of the table. Have we considered whether the Sirens are right? Petros suggested as the grey man opened his mouth to reply. Everyone looked sharply at him. Pentos swore. His brother shrugged. I'm just asking... Torm was nodding. The pits are a relic of a less civilized time. You're a relic of a less civilized time, Pento shot back. The old man ignored him. It stands to reason that we'd begin to put such things aside as the world advances toward prosperity and peace. Katerina's face could have been hewn from marble. I can't believe what I'm hearing, she said under her breath, her gaze briefly touching Braden's. 
Kingmaker stood up and pressed his palms flat on the table. First of all, it isn't just me. The Sirens have condemned Cat, too. Second, our strength is in unity. He peeled one hand off the dark wood and balled it into a fist. If you sit by while they pick us off one by one, there'll be no one left to help you when they come against you. They won't come against me, Braden, Torm scowled. My trade isn't... He squinted down at the decree, which had found its way to his place at the table. An offense in the eyes of God. I will not be cowed by anyone, the gray man growled, staring daggers at him. Not by God, and not by you. He glowered at the rest of them, daring any one of them to challenge him. You think the rose is barbaric? Maybe you're right. He saw Elias's hand creep up to the ivory rose, stitched into his doublet like a splat of burnt over his heart. Because barbarism is the most natural thing in the world, Braden continued. Why do you think they pack out the sanctuary square every time a thief gets hanged? He turned to Torm. If this world is moving toward peace and prosperity, why is there always a need for more swords and more men to swing them? Every bloody stone in the Dominion was laid on a foundation of blood and bodies. If you deny that, you're a fool. And likewise a fool to think what's natural equivalent to what's good came Shiloh's voice from the end of the table. "'Your pits are not the same as the conquest of Dominion,' replied Torm, nodding. He grinned to reveal a mouth of cracked and wine-stained teeth. "'But if you're on a mission from God you haven't told us about, then surely you already have all the help you need.' "'You think you're better than me?' Kingmaker's voice was low and deadly. As if you're all not running trades that would land you in a cell right next to mine. He glared down his nose at Marcella, who's putting bandits on the guards' road to make sure the price for swords stays high. His gaze flicked to Petros, who's smuggling sweet milk into the city in wine barrels for a whole generation of sons to throw their lives away. His eyes touched Shiloh's. And who's taking all those prisoners set free by Lord White Rose and selling them right back to the gadfly? For a bare instant, he thought he saw a flicker of anger behind the temperate mask of Lord Piggy, but he didn't say anything. It was Marcella who spoke. This sounds like blackmail. Braden looked at Jenna, at Torm, at Pentos. The list goes on. To Marcella, he said, it's a reminder. I'm the only one at this table who runs my trade out in the open. I'll talk to the captain of the keepers. Every head turned to look at Jenna. A slight flush bloomed on her cheeks and crept up her neck. He owes me, the smith explained. He can at least give you a good warning on where the raids will be. Give you enough time to pull your men and money out. Thank you, murmured Braden, and he meant it. But already he knew it was too late. He could see the storm clouds on all of their faces. 
Only Pentos and Cat looked like they wouldn't have voted to defenestrate him if the motion had been put forward, and under the table he could see that one of the courtesan's manicured hands was curled into a white fist. Elias was still thumbing the crest on his doublet, staring down at his reflection in the polished dark wood. So it would be winner take all then. Fair enough. They left quickly and without ceremony, all of them eager to put as much of the city as they could between themselves and the high room of the pleasure house. Braden was the last to go. He set his valise on the table with a thud and stowed his papers in an inside sleeve. He felt Cat's hand on his shoulder. He smelled something faintly spicy like desert tea leaves when she leaned in close. Did you really have to antagonize all of them in one stroke? Suppose he didn't. But it was a talent he'd spent years perfecting. What a waste not to make use of it. Do I really stink? He asked. She didn't say. He watched the way her hips swayed in her long, conservative skirt as she led the way out. His carriage was waiting at the end of the cobbled street. He could make out the glowing ember of the driver's cigarette bobbing there in the darkness. He pulled his cloak tight around his shoulders to keep the chill off and started down the street. What are you playing at? Elias. The nobleman melted out of the shadows of a neighboring alley. He stood a head taller than Brayden, and the dirk on his belt was an obvious evidence. Kingmaker blinked in surprise, smoothing the line of his mustachio. I'm not sure what you're this. He thrust the notice into his hands. Braden didn't try to hide the smirk that rose to his lips. He'd gone back and forth a dozen times with the artist before they settled on a final design for the advert. It was beautiful. He'd hoped that the grinning skull with the wings arched back haunted Elias's nightmares. Revenge of the Reaper. By the glow in the nobleman's red-rimmed eyes, by the slight quiver in his hand as Braden took the parchment, he could tell he'd succeeded. The nobleman jabbed a finger at the advert. It's not him, is it? He didn't sound confident. Braden looked up from the parchment and saw a flicker of fear dancing delightfully in Elias's eyes. Oh my, muttered the grey man in mock reproach. Has my lord already forgotten how he bought that fancy title? His eyes flicked down to the splat of white on his dark doublet. He's dead. It sounded to Braden like he was trying to convince himself of the fact. He held out the advert for Elias to take. So what are you worried about? Kingmaker whispered, then added brightly, You should come see it for yourself. I'll save you a seat. He shrugged. Unless you're afraid of ghosts. He laughed, his voice booming against the midnight stillness, his breath fogging on the chill night air as he watched Lord White Rose flee toward the keep. He imagined he could see the nightmares squeezing into the carriage with him.
Thank you guys so much for listening. It really does mean the world to be able to share this story with you. This one was probably one of the more challenging to record, just given all the different character voices and having to keep track of who is who. I am glad to be done recording it. As always, if you're listening on Spotify, it is a huge favor if you leave a five-star review on the video to allow this story to reach as many people as possible. All right, that's enough from me. I will catch you guys next week.